Another International Women's Day has come and gone. How did you celebrate? Well, we put the spotlight on women in crypto. Well, one particular woman. Natalie Brunel is a former network journalist who's all in on Bitcoin and now seeks to educate the masses on the power of decentralization and sound money. Whether you're a biological male or a biological female, in 2022, it seems you can identify as whatever you want. So we encourage everyone to show solidarity and identify as a woman today for our He's Nuts, She's Nuts, and D's Nuts, episode number 594 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Who's bad? And welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious. I am Jolene Cobb, identifying as a woman today. And uh, I am a, a Travinus Wright, and I identify as a woman, so I can participate in female sports. Put that Travinus away. Put, put... <laughs> Don't be that showing all... your Travinus. Yeah, so my mom always said, see, I was a little funny. Like, oh, ha ha, tra la la, Travinus. And I was like, okay, so I guess that was my girl. That would be my girl's name. Did you hear, like, I think it's in, um, it was in, not Oregon. It's in, I read it, it's in some state that it's like a joke amongst dudes to be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to identify as a woman so I can be in the, to dominate the women's sports. Uh, well, as, it is a joke. It, it's well, no, a it's like, really bad well, joke. It, you know, there's some trans trans people that are like, all right, I'm a woman and I'm, you know, but they're literally like trolling and saying I'm a woman now. And then they're doing the yeah. sports. So like, that's the problem is that, um, you know, if you have testosterone, you got an advantage. In, yeah, in clear, clearly it's not yeah. fair. It's just not fair. And I, I feel like if anything puts back the rights of women, you know, several decades, it's that it's like, OK, it, even if you're trans and not, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You do you. I don't care. I mean, it's not your my, not my genitals. Do you do you? But biologically, if you're born a man and you've got that testosterone and, and you can't win as a man, then you're not good enough to compete. And don't well, be I, say that I agree. Women. But the thing is, like, if, if you are a man and you take testosterone, you get banned from taking steroids. So it's like Correct. if you're a woman taking steroids, you're going to get banned. And so if you're a woman who's if you're a woman who used to be a man who had testosterone already, naturally, you're going to get banned. Like It just it's just it's not a genitals thing. It's a testosterone advantage thing. So a piece of crypto news before we move into today's featured interview with a person that I believe uh, that according to the information I have was born a biological woman. Uh, before we get to that, the news today timestamp on March 9th, 2022, the Joe's administration has put out guidance on crypto that is not it's not negative. I mean, there was a lot of people that were expecting them to some people were extreme, like Robert Kiyosaki, you know, the rich dad, poor dad guy came out with a tweet yesterday that I thought was so irresponsible, in my opinion. And he said, prediction, uh, the U.S. bans Bitcoin, uh, enforces uh, uh, central bank digital currency. But I'm like, seriously, they did no such thing. They understand that they the government understands that we need to be leaders in crypto. Yes, they're going to move towards a Fed coin, but they understand they can't ban Bitcoin. It's unstoppable money. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin hit 42,000 today. And it hit like 36,000 yesterday or something. Didn't yeah. Yeah. It's a big like $5,000 variation, you know, between the two days. So uh, that's, you know, good news when governments recognize that, okay, we can't beat them. How do we join them and leverage to keep our economy stable um, and find other ways to, you know, uh, to take over and make people do what we want them to do? Uh, that's slightly encouraging. It's not great. Yeah. It's not bad. I think it's the first thing I can say that this uh, th this faux administration has done that isn't a complete disaster. Well, let me say this, and I'm going to say it once. Say it. I'm going to say it again. Say it for me one time. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talk about it a little bit in this episode, right? There's a lot of crazy shit that's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm of the belief that the pandemic was 
here to weaken the economy, to weaken small businesses, to Conspiracy. put a strain on the economies. Yeah, this is my, I'm of the theory of, and the war now, where we're in, is stage two of this. And they're moving us towards the collapsing of the economy, the traditional economy, to move in the central bank digital currencies, the CBDCs. They want to move into that because, look, they're canceling a country right now. Now, if they can cancel a country on the traditional financial system, how easy is it going to be to shut you off from your CBDCs? Mm -hmm. They can just say, "Er, you don't have any access to your money. Sorry, we don't like what you said over here seven years ago in a tweet. So we're going to cancel you now because you no longer get to be a person like that's where we're headed. And that's terrifying, folks. It, it is indeed. This is why we need Bitcoin now more than ever. So there you go. There is the conspiracy theory for the day. We've got a couple new reviews that popped up for us, and we're going to get to them after this amazing interview with the incredibly intelligent and stunning Natalie Brunel. Hey, everybody, we are recording this interview today on March the 8th in the year of 2022. And that means it is International Women's Day. Yay. Travis, we love Yay. women, don't we? You know what? Um, my mom is one. So yeah. it's good. I'm really grateful for women because Me it allows too. us to be born. It allows Me. us to be born. It's amazing. What a coinkating. Yeah. Mine, too. <laughs> And my girlfriend's a woman and it's just, you know, my my daughter is a woman. Uh, I love it. And there is a woman who is not only a woman, but also international. And I encountered her on the Twitters and I saw, oh, this woman says really smart things about the cryptos. And I said, we need to invite her to the show. And so with us, we have Natalie Brunel. She's a Polish-American media personality, investigative journalist, podcast host and educator. She knows things, and we're going to talk all about crypto, women in crypto, women out of crypto. Who knows where it's going to go? Natalie, welcome to Bad Crypto. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Glad you're here, and uh, and I do want to wish you a happy International Women's Day. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited to celebrate all the women today. Yeah, and you're and you're celebrating with us. I feel so honored, and that's only because our calendars were messed up because we were supposed to record I- yesterday. <laughs> I know technology, technology. So why don't we start by just kind of getting a little bit of your background since I'm new to following you on Twitter. I don't know exactly where you've been or what you've done, but you do. So tell us. Uh, Sure. So I was born in Poland, first generation immigrant in the U.S. My family came to the suburbs of Chicago when I was five. So I grew up outside Chicago. Um, My family, I just watched them work really, really hard, you know, immigrant, just trying to achieve the American dream. And I always wanted to work in media ever since I was young because we would watch a lot of news growing up, a lot of interview shows, and also a lot of just movies. We always had something on at night when we were having dinner and afterwards because watching programs helped my parents learn English um, because they were really starting over. And when they immigrated here, they didn't know English at all. Uh, So I always dreamed of having a job as um, either a journalist, an interviewer, or potentially maybe an actress because I loved movies so much. So uh, I went off to study journalism in college. I actually have a master's degree in journalism. And then I worked for more than 10 years as a broadcaster, uh, mostly all over California. And then I ended up at a national network, ABC News, based in Los Angeles, which was a great experience. So I traveled the country covering breaking news, which, as you could probably imagine, is a lot of... um, you know, disasters and destruction and just, you know, if it bleeds, it leads is what we say. So terrible news around the country. Um, But it was really, you know, an eye opening experience. I've covered so many incredible stories and incredible people that I've met through my through my career. And I discovered Bitcoin in 2017 and became really, really passionate about it because I felt like it solved a lot of the problems that I would witness as a reporter. So I would, you know, cover everything from 
corruption, to homelessness, to civil unrest. And I felt like there was this growing angst among our society here in America where people just felt left behind and frustrated. And, you know, the middle class was eroding. The American dream was eroding that my parents came here for. And I didn't really understand what caused it until I studied our monetary system through Bitcoin. And then I just became so passionate. And I said, I have to focus my life and my career on educating people about this because I really view it as the solution to so many of our, our crises. And, uh, and then last year I left my journalism job to pursue being an independent, I don't know what you'd call me. I'm a podcast host. I'm a content creator and I'm an educator in, in Bitcoin and I've never been happier. Uh, we got in in 2017 as well. I have a quick uh, follow-up, Travis, before you ask your brilliant question. What suburb in Chicago were you in? Palatine. Ah, so I, I grew up in Northbrook and went to University oh, nice. of Illinois. So I, I know Palatine well. In fact, there used to be, when I was growing up, one of the last uh, video game arcades we had out there where we used to go with our friends on Friday nights and put quarters in machines. Oh, uh, anyway, that's cool. Travis, go for it. You know what? I was actually going to hand it over to you. I was like, I was like, dude, I know he's from Chicago. Is he going to have to say something? <laughs> but I was going to make a Chicago joke right from the get go. Very nice. So for one, when you when we when you first jumped in here and you came in we, and before the before the call, I was like, this lady looks like she's was like a newscaster. You have that perfect newscaster heritage. <laughs> like, she looks like because I didn't know I hadn't saw the show notes yet. That's how prepared I was for this interview today. You know, it's really funny that you even say that because throughout my news career, you know, I worked in television. They like tell you how to cut your hair and everybody has this like this like um, edgy bob and like they tell you what to do with your look. And I'm, I'm so happy to finally have a say in how I look and how I do my hair and, mm -hmm. and how I you know want to appear on camera because for so long they like dictate it for you. <laughs> I, uh, I, I knew a guy once that we called edgy bob. He was he was always a little stressed. There's an actual yeah. photo of you right here at the ABC news desk. Yeah. LA. Yeah. I hate I hated having short hair. I love having long hair. It's so funny. But like they make all of the women look very similar. It's like this cookie cutter look and style. So, yeah, <laughs> except except in, in Latin America, where they make them all look a little different because it seems because I'm actually I'm in, I'm in Cancun right now and the Mexican uh, news is it, they all, they all like, can we find anybody who looks like Sofia Vergara? Because yeah. they're all on the news in every station and the news lady and the weather lady. And it's crazy down here. You know, that's, that's actually true. Yeah. Because you can wear more revealing clothing depending on the market you live in. So like if you go to Chicago and you turn on the news, everyone is like kind of more buttoned up and has blazers on. Like the women are a little bit more conservative, but then come to LA and the, like, you know, it's like cocktail dresses <laughs> on the newscast. So it's kind of funny. That is, that is funny. So I want to I want to know about this, because we talk a lot about, you know, um, the media, mainstream media is owned by, you know, it's sort of like the people who own the monetary system sort of own the media outlets, it seems like. And, and now that you're no longer in mainstream media, like what are some instances or maybe some times that you've seen where the overarching how they control the narrative so so well? Is there some anything you can talk about around that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I do believe that this topic is so nuanced because I don't, you know, I've never experienced a situation in any of the networks where there was someone in a meeting saying, we're going to tell the story this way because this is what, you know, the overlords are like, this is what the bosses believe. It, it was so much more ingrained. Um, so there are biases. There just are. I mean, we all have biases, right? But within journalism, especially when I was studying, like there's just this, there's this focus and attention placed on making sure to strip those biases away and making sure to get, you know, other sides, because at the end of the day, the audience is supposed to decide, right? You're just supposed to um, present the different arguments, present the different uh, people and, and, and what they believe and think and what they experienced and let the audience decide. And what I did see happen, though, is for some reason over the last, I don't know, I would probably say around the time of the election when Pre President Trump got elected and it was um, Hillary Clinton versus Trump, I felt like there was this um, angst and polarization that had developed and was kind of exacerbated by social media where people could just like thrust these opinions out there cloaked behind, you know, the veil of being a, a digital presence that didn't have to say it in person to anybody. And I felt like all of a sudden 
there were sides, there was, there were teams and that for some reason, most networks started to report whatever the government said or whatever one side said is just fact. And before I felt like there was always a sense of investigation, skepticism, you know, critical thinking, kind of wanting to understand why someone said things the way they did. And fast forward to, you know, 2020, whatever the CDC says, whatever the White House says, it's just like, this is fact. (laughs) And so for me, it was kind of like, I grew up in a very skeptical household um, because I grew up with European parents who, I don't know, I just like, they were very well educated. They read a lot. They, um, you know, they grew up in communism, so they didn't believe what the government said. (laughs) And so they kind of reared me with that thinking of like, just because someone says it, or just because it's on a commercial, or just because the doctor is trying to prescribe you something doesn't mean that it's good for you, that it's right, that it's truthful and to think and to question and really, you know, think for myself and make my own opinions. And I saw that sort of dissipate throughout my career in journalism. And I felt like people wanted access to the politicians and just kind of became a mouthpiece for whatever the, um, the elected officials would say, as opposed to holding their feet to the fire, holding them accountable, asking questions, digging deeper. And that was really disappointing to me. Um, and I truly believe that when it comes to the monetary system aspect that I became so passionate about, I don't think most journalists have bad intentions and are trying to drive necessarily a certain narrative. I think they're really uneducated. I think that financial literacy is at such a deficit in this country. And so people are spouting things and, and driving agendas that they don't understand that they just, they, it's like lost in translation. They don't understand economics because it wasn't taught to them. And so on that level, I have sympathy because I have colleagues who we have disagreements and I know that they're, they're passionate about, you know, whatever side they're on. And, and I think that they sort of tell stories from that angle but it's because they don't know any better. It's because they don't understand how broken the system is, how, you know, the history of fiat, all that. So that's one of the reasons why I I do, I want to get out there and and help teach people that um, or help lead them to the resources so that they can teach themselves because our system is so broken. And if people understood more people would stop dividing themselves into red versus blue and just start looking like critically at how our money like where it comes from, who defines its value, who gets it first, and maybe invest in something like Bitcoin, which nobody controls and manipulates. Have you ever considered running for office? <laughs> um, I, I think that there was a period of time when I was a reporter and I was starting to become jaded that I did. I did think about it because I just felt so frustrated and I would meet these politicians through my stories. And I just felt like there was so there was, it was just like such a feeling of I'm talking to a car salesman. They're Mm -hmm. saying whatever it is they need to say to get elected. They care so much about money uh, and where their campaign donations are coming from. And I think, you know, I come from a religious background and I think I have this like altruism that, that drives some of what I do, where I feel like if I was in office, I would not behave that way. And I could not be corrupted. Uh, and I, I mean, I still believe that it would put and you to the test. That's for sure. Right. Anybody, put, I imagine there's a good many people who have gone into politics with, yeah. you know, that attitude that end up being part of the system. But I'm just as listening to your message, it's very it's very uniting. Um, you know, the the media, I feel like Trump broke the media. It, there was already cracks in it, mm-hmm. but he came in and he wasn't expected to win. He wasn't the, you know, the golden girl that was you know supposed yeah. to be the president. And he he broke them. And now mm-hmm. uh, trust in the media is at an all time low. Trust mm-hmm. in our politicians is extremely low. Now that you've been removed from it for a couple of years completely and are doing your own thing. Is there a way to fix it? Or is it is it irreparable at this point? Because it's it seems so one sided. Yeah. So I I mean, I have a couple of opinions on that. Number one, I know that I probably online sound very Pollyanna ish about a world under the Bitcoin standard. But I do think as 
as Bitcoin adoption grows and more people start to understand the system, that naturally that will unite and that will bring a little bit of more, more neutrality or, I don't know, critical thinking to, to journalism. Because again, Bitcoin kind of forces you to learn some of these things about money and, um, and the, the intersection of finance and politics and technology. And so I, I hope through that education, we get a little bit less I don't know, extremes in the bias that we see in media. Um, but at the same time, you know, the business model is so difficult for news right now. Like when I was young, if I had had a crystal ball and someone was, was you know, would tell me that the, the shows that I was watching, the appointment television that I was watching growing up of, you know, Barbara Walters interviews and news shows that used to get every eyeball right at night, five thirty, six o'clock at night, because you had no internet. If I knew that all of that was going to be kind of splintered off and it would be online personalities and people with specialties on YouTube channels and whatnot, I probably wouldn't have gone to journalism school, to be honest with you, because I took such a traditional path and um, economically, it just, it was not the best decision because anchors, reporters, they used to make great money, even on a local level. And they used to have one job. They would just go on camera and do the story. And then by the time I graduated and the internet came out and YouTube and, you know, so citizen journalism was starting to be a thing. I basically was making one fifth of the salary doing five jobs in one. I was the writer, the producer, the editor, the sound person, the, you know, running around going live by myself. I mean, if I had known that that would that would change, I, I might've pursued something, something different. And so I guess what I mean to say is that some of some of what we see, I think, is just, you know, they're they're hungry for clicks and we are natural voyeurs as human beings. You know, people would sometimes ask me or approach me when they heard I, I worked in news saying, like, why don't you guys report happy stuff? Like, why, why is it always depressing? I don't want to watch the news. And you know why? Because people have tried to put on happy news programs and nobody watches. We, there's something about us that wants to watch, see what, you know, what happened in the car crash. We want to we want that like tension and drama. And so that's what news thrives on. That's what they make money on. I mean, you know, CNN has the most viewers when there's a major disaster or major, um, you know, national event that is tragic. And then all of a sudden everyone's tuning into CNN and the rest of the time they have to fill and they have to try to get, you know, if there's spark something within us that like causes us to watch. So I think because the business model is fractured and there's a desperation for advertising dollars, it's probably all, you know, going to continue to go down the path of, you know, some of these more polarizing media content. Yeah. And, and, and it seems that, that that is where some of the generation of the fake news comes from is, oh, well, we got to drum up some excitement. We got to get anger. We got to get madness. Like, like CNN mm -hmm. now, you know, before the, uh, the, the Ukraine Russian thing that's going on is they're at all time low rating, right? <laughs> like all time yeah. low. What's great for that? Well, a war, because now everybody's going to tune in to CNN. It's it's a horrible side of human nature, I think, that yeah. rubbernecking side that we yes. have, where it's like, oh, there's a disaster. Oh, I got to know everything about it. And then, yeah. and then a lot of times what happens is you're getting information from here that validates what you're thinking, but there's not that critical thinking side where you're going over here and getting the additional information, because a lot of that stuff is buried. And I yeah. think we even, we even saw that during COVID, right, mm -hmm. where it's like, Oh, now it's coming out that these vaccines are causing all kinds of damage. And but any doctor who was talking about them causing damage was deleted from the Internet. Yeah. So I want to yeah. I want to ask you about this cancel yeah. culture thing that's going on, because right now, not only is are people getting canceled, they're canceling a whole country right now. Like Russia, if you're Russian, you're getting canceled like businesses aren't doing anything like that should terrify people about the centralized nature of business. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I truly feel like 2020, I mean, I, I think I mentioned earlier, right. What for me as a reporter, that sort of 2016 election, I just noticed the fracturing, the polarization that, that media outlets were starting to kind of choose one side, even on a more local level, but 2020 really was something else because all of a sudden it was like, in my opinion and my training and my instinct as a journalist, if there, if there is another side, you have to share it. If there's evidence on the other side, you have to share it. You are, you are obligated and there's a duty to do that. And what I felt like I saw is exactly what you mentioned. You know, if you were on the other side of the narrative of what the government said, 
and the information they put out or the, you know, whatever it was about the pandemic, you, you were literally, you couldn't even get a sound bite. Like I would see these, you know, reporters coming out saying, I tried to do this story and I was blocked. I couldn't do it. I couldn't interview this person. I could only interview this person. And it's like, worse. This is science. It's not like, it's a constant study. It's a constant theory that we're a hypothesis that we're, you know, sort of venturing out, trying to prove to be right or wrong. I mean, no, no, that's not right. Natalie, you have to listen to Dr. Fauci, trust the science, (laughs) trust it. It's yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it made me really, it made me really, really sad. And I will say too, one thing that I experienced, I had, I had better and worse situations depending on the newsrooms that I worked for, but, um, there would be, you know, as 2016 rolled around, it's like, we would find each other in the newsroom as the people who thought a little bit differently or wanted to report maybe a different angle or side to the story. And we felt like we couldn't, and we felt like we couldn't vocalize it because we felt like our jobs would be in jeopardy, but we, we like would communicate with each other and we didn't want to be branded as like, Oh, you're this, you're this side. And so, um, we would kind of, you know, we would kind of create little communities because we felt like we were outnumbered by everyone else who wanted to report things a certain way, if that makes sense. And so, I mean, that, you know, when that builds and it grows and you see more polarization in the country, um, that's one impetus for also wanting to leave the industry, right? Or wanting to go to a network that maybe you feel is a little bit more fair based on your experience of reporting. Mm. And, and I think you're spot on on that. And do you, do you, do you know, or what are your thoughts on, on, on what caused this? Cause I remember, I mean, you've talking about watching news as a child when you were younger. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching news. It's like back in the day, there was the fairness doctrine. It's like, if you're on media and you talk about this, then you have to talk about this. You have to have the opposing views to let people decide. And then it seems like Reagan got rid of the fairness doctrine. And then are you familiar with the Smith-Munt Modernization Act of 2012? Mm-hmm. No. The Smith-Munt Modernization Act was with the, uh, the, the Department of Defense spending bill um, in, in 2012. And basically what it is, it says that the, the media no longer had to tell the exact truth. They could actually give government propaganda legally. And once that happened in 2012, I noticed the media and the news changed because they were no longer beholden to the truth. They were beholden to whatever narratives we could have. So since 2012, mainstream media it, it has been able to legally do fake news. Do research on, on the Smith-Munt. It's M-U-N-D-T, Smith-Munt Modernization okay. Fascinating. It'll blow your mind. You're like, what? I can't even believe that this passed mm-hmm. and, and how they got this through because this en- enabled them to completely shift narratives at will. Wow. Okay. Well, I will, I'll definitely look into that. Um, yeah, no, it, it does. It really does make me sad that we have such polarization because there aren't a lot of media outlets that you could go to where you feel like, oh, that person isn't completely one side or another, right? Isn't, I can't totally fully just categorize them. And that's why I actually respect people like Joe Rogan, because I I feel like Joe Rogan's actually very just logical, rational centrist, doesn't have a, doesn't have a dog in the fight and wants to hear both sides and wants to question them. Even, you know, even if that challenges the, the mainstream narrative and people just attack him, label him, like put him in this bucket, want to defund him. And it's like, wow, it's really sad that we got to this to this point. Yeah, we've, we've made a bunch of uh, a very insecure, intolerant crybabies in, yes. in our society now. And they're really they're a small vocal minority. Most people <laughs> don't think like that. But, you know, you make noise and, and you get attention. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of making noise, you're not you don't seem like the type of person that would, you know, a dish on somebody, but I am curious, what do you think of Randy Zuckerberg's uh, we're all going to make it video? I had a reporter reach out to me and, and ask, what do you think of her stealing, you know, your song? Because we released a version a few weeks ago that didn't get attention and uh, she got attacked a lot. She got supported. What do you think? Is this good or bad for bringing people to crypto? 
Um, so I don't know anything about the video, but I've actually had the chance to meet and interview Randy and she is such a nice person. She's such a caring mom. She's, I think she has such great intentions with wanting to educate women and bring people into the space. So I'm actually a fan of hers. I think she's, I think she's cool. I don't know anything about the background of this, um, music video, but you know, I, I like to judge people by how my interactions have been with them. And my interaction with her was very, very positive. So. I think she's, she's better the coolest than her stuff. brother. Like, oh, wait, I've, I've met her too. I met her way back in 2007, 2007 uh, at a, at an event. And she was just so cool. So amazing. Yeah. The way, and I've met Mark twice and Mark is truly like a robot. It's really weird. I don't know. I haven't, yeah. I haven't met Mark. Um, but yeah, I, and Randy's actually been in Bitcoin. Like she's, I've been accepting Bitcoin for speaking engagements for many, many years. So I just think it's, it's really cool that, you know, she's, she's really in it. She really believes in it and wants to educate, you know, people. I obviously am not in, in the altcoins. So that I sometimes, whenever anyone is, is in the altcoins, I'm like, okay, that's well, don't talk to me about them. Cause I'm the wrong person. Wait, but, wait, are uh, you a maximalist? Yeah. I'm a total Bitcoin maximalist. Yes. Got it. So there's just no room in your world for altcoins. You don't believe in them. You don't own any, you don't like them. What is it? I don't own any because for me, I truly believe that Bitcoin is the future of money and it solves this massive problem that we have um, that I'm really passionate about from like the, the human interest angle of just, I, I truly believe that we should be able to take care of our families and afford, you know, afford our futures, um, based on the jobs and the skills that we bring to the, to the table. And I think our system is so broken and it makes me really sad because I feel like it just, it makes life harder for good people. And the other altcoins I see is essentially kind of like stocks and securities and, Basically, you know, some will succeed, some won't, some will make great gains, some will go to zero. And I just, it's, I don't want to spend my time venturing guesses on these projects that to me are a little bit more centralized and not, they're not money to me, if that makes sense. Like I'm passionate about fixing the money and not about um, speculating or investing or trading things that will go up and down, but to me have nothing to do with Bitcoin at the end of the day. Mm, that is that is fascinating. I think that um, you know Bitcoin is it, it, it changed the game, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and now we have I don't know twenty thousand other cryptos mm -hmm. out there or more. I don't even know. I know Coin Gecko has like eleven, twelve thousand, something like that. New ones popping up. Now I, I would say this is that you know Bitcoin is a little more stable, right? I mean, it does go up and go down, but you know some of these cryptos go whoa, they just and then pank, and you're like wow. Yeah. If you get in at the right time, you get out at the right time. It's a it's a big win. But um, so when did you first hear about Bitcoin? Like, what was the moment when you were like, whoa, were you interviewing somebody? Did you have a and you had the epiphany and was like, oh, my, this is this is madness. Yeah. So like most people, when I first heard about it, I was very skeptical. It was 2017. I was working as a reporter in Sacramento, California. So I was covering the state, the state capital and um, a lot of state issues uh, in California. And I actually had a short, long distance relationship with, with my ex-boyfriend at the, my boyfriend at the time, he was living in San Francisco. So he was like very immersed in um, Silicon Valley. He worked in tech and a lot of his friends worked in that industry. So I would visit him and we would go out with his friends. And I remember just one night they were, they, someone brought up Bitcoin. One person worked at Coinbase. Another person had lost money on Mt. Gox. And so I was like, what the hell is Bitcoin? And I think at first I just thought it was like a, I don't know. I thought it was like a Silicon, ver Silicon Valley version of a stock or, or, you know, a, an investment where these people who created these social media giants and all the tech companies that are worth more money than any company, they were, they were creating some sort of innovation that had to do with investing. And I felt like because they were always on the kind of cusp of the new technology and the new thing that's cool, the new trends, I was like, well, maybe this is something, but I also saw it as completely risky. Like I could lose all my money. It could go to zero. So I don't want to put in too much. Um, I didn't, again, like I didn't understand our money system and why I was, you know, frustrated with America about certain things that I was reporting on. So I was exposed to it, heard about it. I'm proud of myself that like, even though I saw it as risky, I just, I decided to buy some. 
And then I saw it run all the way up to 20 and it crashed and I didn't sell. Like I had diamond hands, even though I still didn't understand it really. Um, but in the meantime, while it was climbing up, I think it was probably in the teens, I pitched a story to my news network and I said, Hey, there's this thing it's going up in value. We should report on it. Um, maybe there's some local interest. So I found like a Bitcoin ATM that was in our local mall. And I found the guy who was behind it and I did a story, but I just remember there was kind of pushback, you know, like they felt like I was reporting on something that was completely speculative, totally risky gambling, like potentially, you know, could affect our viewers financially (laughs) in a bad way. So it was like a one and done. Like I did one Bitcoin story. And then I remember I kept the Bitcoin but it took me until about 2019 where I, I told a mentor that I've had for a long time that I bought Bitcoin and he was like, what the hell's Bitcoin? And so he went on Amazon and bought the Bitcoin standard and he read it and he comes back to me and he's like, Natalie, like, do you even know what you just bought? You know, you have to read this book. It's going to change your life. This is the future. You have to, you have to read this book. And I just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off because to me, I thought I was about to be reading a book about like coding and computer science and like software development or something. And I was like, this is so boring. Like, why would I, (laughs) I don't want to learn about this. Like I have it, I have some, like, leave me alone. And, um, and then I, when I finally read it, finally picked it up, like I'm such a dumbass. Like I should have, you know, I should have read it before I could have a lot more Bitcoin. The second I finished that book, it was like an epiphany for me. Um, and I, I really don't say that lightly, but I felt like 10 years of reporting culminated in a moment for me where I was like, oh my God, this is why all of the problems, all of the crises, all of the angst and frustration I've been reporting on on a day-to-day basis. This is why it exists. It's because our money is broken and Bitcoin is the fix. It was like this explosion of both like knowledge and understanding, but also hope because for a long time, I did not have hope anymore. I felt like our country was going to be more and more divided. I felt like every year I was reporting on another politician who's like, I'm going to be the change and I'm going to throw this much money at this problem. And then the next year I'd be reporting on the same problem. It was bigger and all the money spent and so like a politician's richer, but all the, you know, hardworking people are screwed and suffering. And so for me, it was like, I just became so passionate. And then the pandemic, I think was like, holy moly, number one value proposition ever. If they're going to kick in the money printer and do this and totally just trash our currency and, uh, and allow the billionaires to become way richer at the expense of the average person who now has to pay what $7 for gas in Los Angeles. I'm like, no, 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 no. I have to get out there and tell people about Bitcoin. Um, so for me, it was like this multi-year journey where it was like, I learned about it, didn't get it skeptical, to now I like have spent, you know, more than a thousand hours studying it, reading every book, reading books multiple times, talking to the leaders in the space through my podcast and like feeling like this is the one thing that gives me hope for the future. Mm. Well, the good news is um, even if you felt like a dumbass at the time, you're not the biggest dumbass in the room. You've got two much bigger dumbasses here. I remember hearing <laughs> about Bitcoin probably 2012 or 13. And, and I didn't usually I dig in and I didn't get it. And it wasn't until 2017. And this dumbass, he, he lost 55 Bitcoin. So he's a, he's a bigger dumbass than both of us, but you lost 55 Bitcoin. How? (laughs) Well, it was, it was 2000. I mined it in 2010. It was on my computer and my computer, it it literally trashed my computer. And it was because, (sighs) because it was taking all the power and all the, uh, all the computing power. And over time, it just basically killed my computer and it wasn't worth anything at the time. It was 2010, 2011. It wasn't worth nothing. And I, I got all my family photos off and uh, important stuff like that. All my <laughs> Napster. I got all my Napster MP3s off too. That's um, good. <laughs> what I, oh my God. I, 55 Bitcoin. I just, I just can't believe. I mean, I just, I wish I had I, done the homework sooner. I know yeah. we, we all do, but better, you know, I mean, when you look at 2017, you know, five years ago, it's like, okay, we're still really early when you consider that this is the future of money. I was just digging around now and we are approaching 19 million Bitcoin being mined. Mm -hmm. It looks like at the rate, there's about 20, 
2000 until we hit 19 million. And that's what about 24, 26 days, somewhere in, mm -hmm. in April, we're going to hit that. And then it's going to take another, you know, how long for the rest of them? Another hundred years. Hundred years. Or yeah. 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 So, and, and think of all that, you know, I lost 55, but think of all the other people who've lost them. And then you got Satoshi's wallet that has a million. And then, uh, you know, so you figure maybe there's 4 million lost. There's 2 million that aren't in existence yet. And so there's really 15 million Bitcoin probably around that, that are, are access. Hey, did you and hear how this many stuff? Travis are in super yeah. strong hands, right? That they're yeah, not that, selling no matter they're what. They're not selling. It's so true. Did you guys hear this? Yesterday, uh, Coinbase announced that they have uh, frozen 20, over 25,000 Russian wallets. Like that's, that's, that's against the freaking ethos of web three in the first place. Like how are like, seriously, like this blows me away. This, this cancel culture shit is just getting me down. I can't even believe it. I think it's going to ruin Coinbase reputation. Like, who's going to trust Coinbase. They're going to just shut off your wallet. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I have a couple questions around that because they claimed that these wallets are associated with illicit activity. So my question is like, what, what activity and how did they come to that conclusion? And number two, I said this on the news when I was, did a hit yesterday, I truly believe that when companies do this to individuals or to, you know, they, they politicize their products and basically say, well, we're, we're shutting down, you know, visa rails now in Russia do you think that really hurts Putin? Like, are you really, are you really getting at the core of your mission here by making this political statement? It's like, that's going to hurt average people who I, you know, I, I know people in Russia, they it's, there's so much poverty. There's so much struggle. People are terrified of Putin. They don't want this war. And now they like, can't go to the grocery store and use their credit card. I mean, what, like, just because it looks nice in a headline or in a press release doesn't mean that it's good for, you know, the majority of people for the public good. And I just think that that kind of signaling, it's like the virtue signaling of, of, of some folks out there today where you feel better just because you post a flag or something. Well, it'd be better if instead of posting that flag, you actually maybe sent through your Bitcoin wallet money to someone you know, who's fleeing the country and trying to get away and, and rescue their family. It just, sometimes I think we just do so much for the gram or for the public, like mm -hmm. praise and, and not for actually, because, because our hearts are connected and we want to help other people. So yeah, sad. you're right. It's, it's not going to hurt Putin. He's going to eat well tonight and he's yeah. going to, he's going to sleep well, but the people of Russia, you know, who are, who aren't supporting war, they're the mm -hmm. ones that are going to get hit by the sanctions. So he didn't give a yeah. crap about the people before. Why is he going to give a crap about them now? Right. And, and all of it, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to push him toward a system that's outside of our traditional one. Right. And so if America wants to maintain the power of the traditional system and the power of the global reserve currency and the petrodollar and all that, mm -hmm. well, they're they're leading him down a different path and they're forcing they're backing him into a corner to to basically opt out and create his own system or venture onto a different one that exists. And so, you know, that's what he's, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Yeah. They shut down Visa and MasterCard mm -hmm. and now they're partnering with Union Pay in China. To yeah. It's all the credit cards. My, my girlfriend's Russian and she got notification from her bank saying, hey, your visa doesn't work. However, uh, come into the bank and switch yeah. it out. We'll give you a Union Pay one. So what mm -hmm. happens when China and Russia and India Three of the most, you know, most populated and large, you know, geographic areas are all the whole. This this is setting up. This is setting up for a showdown. Oh, yeah. That's not good. I know it's and you know it's sad because it's like this is the result of short term thinking at the expense of long term consequences, and I feel like our government. Our elected officials are so guilty of that, especially in the last two decades. It's like they they want to make these grand statements or gestures and they want to make policies, but they're only thinking about the next election cycle or the immediate right now. And they're not understanding the implications. And I have to think there are experts and advisors that are telling them and behind, you know, over their shoulder saying like, this is what's going to happen if you do this. And yet, you know, they choose their narrative, they choose their voter base and they like go with it. And then 10 years down the road, it's like, well, how did this happen? Let's walk this back a little bit and see that the warning signs, the red flags were there you know, a mm -hmm. while ago. So, you know, it's, it's sad. And I, and again, like it just all comes back to, I just, 
if people were just more educated and I don't know how you fix the system at such like a core level of, you know, basic economic and, and monetary education within our schools so that our elected officials come in with some base knowledge of how this all works, maybe this would change, but I don't know how you fix the system at this point when it's so broken. But don't you have, I mean, the, the politicians and the powers that be um, thrive on an uneducated or misinformed population. So they're not going to be the ones to fix it. It's going to be we, the people that, you know, vote out these people that are trying to control the system. That's the only way in. You live in California, right? Yes. Yeah. When are you going to get out? I mean, how much is, is too much? When is enough enough? Um, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I will say that there was a point in my life where all I dreamt about was coming back to LA. It's one of the reasons why I ended up in the LA ABC bureau, because I was kind of stubborn. I was like, LA is my goal. I want to end up working in LA. I had come out here for college. Uh, and it's really sad because over the 15 years that I was here sort of on and off for various jobs, I really saw it transform. Um, because you know how sometimes like when you're in it, like you don't see the changes, you have to leave and then come back. Kind of like how like you don't necessarily notice if you're putting on weight, but then if you don't like if you don't see a picture of yourself for a while, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shoot. Um, it's the same way. I think like cities change, but you have to like leave to come back and come back and like see the difference. And so in the last couple of years, I think about how different. Yeah, look at the tents. I mean, that did not exist when I first came out to school here in the in the mid 2000s. And the policies, again, like you learn about the policies that have contributed to that. And you realize that people, the narrative is, oh, well, we're, we're, you can't, you can't do something because it's mean or it's, it's, you know, these people are victims, what, whatever, whatever it may be. Like it's, you're painted as mean. If you want to give them the tough love, the tough medicine that will actually fix the problem. Right. So that's my biggest issue with California and the policies I've seen, especially in LA is you're, I think you're hurting the person more in the long term by allowing them to do some of these things that like decriminalizing, you know, allowing them to do like when you're talking about the homeless crisis, you can shoot up on the steps of city hall, <laughs> like nothing happens to you and you're fed nine meals a day and given your free tent and you can do all the drugs you want. And it's like, what is the incentive for that person to get out of that? And I'm not saying that putting them in jail is the solution because that, you know, they put them in jail, they release them three days later, but like you're thinking about the short term decriminalizing things and just allowing everything to be okay, drugs, whatever. And now we have a ballooning crisis that's impacting the quality of life for everyone. And now how are you going to pull those people out? You know, it's like, I just get frustrated about that because California, I got to say one of like one of the most, probably the most beautiful state in our country. You have different like seasons within driving distance, right? You could go from the snow to the beach to um, the desert. It's beautiful here. It's such a beautiful place. And we've just like, we're destroying the cities one by one. I think Joel mentioned this in a, a previous uh, conversation about microwave mentality. It's like we, we have such a short, short term yeah. outlook, as you mentioned there. Yeah. It's like so. So I, I was a, um, a key opinion leader for Huawei, which is a Chinese company, phone maker. And they were talking about how China has a 500 year plan for its country. Right. And so they're, <laughs> they're thinking of stuff in a five hundred year deal. Russia has like a hundred year plan. They're planning for long term. America has maybe a four-year plan, but really it's not a four-year plan. It's a three-year plan, because, but then it's actually not because they have midterms. And so it's really like we have no plan. And, right. you know, and, and every corporation is thinking in three-month, you know, sprints because they got to get their quarterly earnings. It's mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we appease the investors? How do we appease, you know, the bankers? And how do we, you know, it's, it's just, un, it's unbelievable how they're at, you're, you're spot on. There's no foresight. They're not thinking long-term. And as a result, we get in this situation where here we are, seven, $7 gas. Well, you know what? It's like, we're, it's just, there's so much going on right now. It's just so crazy to think about it all. It's like, you kind of juggling all the thoughts and like, oh my God, like we're yeah. in one of the strangest times in history right now, folks. I, I completely agree with you. And it's one of the things, again, I, I love about Bitcoin is I learned the concept of low preference 
high time preference, low, high, low time preference, high time preference, which is, you know, at what amount do you discount the future in order to think about the present? And when your money is constantly losing value, you think only in the present. And when your money goes up in value and you're able to plan financially for your future and for your families, you're able to think long-term, drop your time preference and, and plan. And like you civilization and, and society, excels in that, in that manner, because all of a sudden people are, are cooperating more. People want a place where their families can thrive. And, and you're not just like worried about these superficial things. And then obviously we have social media that like feeds on the, on the high time preference, the like immediate behavior that like instant gratification and these sort of voyeuristic instant, you know, um, tendencies that we have. So I love the idea of having a financial system that's based on value and supply and demand and price signals and just really truth, you know, at the end of the day, truth, like our, everything's so manipulated in this system that I compare our economy to an airplane that's flying without an altimeter. We're, we're about to crash into a mountain and we have no idea because we're told inflation's good inflate, you know, like we're told all of these opposite signals. We're told, yeah, we want to fix the wealth inequality, but yet we're money printing and disproportionately allocating the capital to the rich people at the expense of everyone else. And we're allowing them to privatize their gains, socialize their life. It's just like, it's so backwards and messed up. And there's something that could fix it through technology. And it's like, everybody should learn about it. You know, everybody needs to understand. I love that you're so evangelistic about it, but careful, you're going to be labeled a conspiracy theorist because I mean, just <laughs> during this show, you've said that you like Joe Rogan. You can't, you can't say that. You know, you've spoken out against the politicians and, and the financial system. You can't it, you're just not being politically correct. So let's take a look here. <laughs> Timestamp this again. This is International Women's Day, March 8th, that we're recording this. Bitcoin uh, went to a low of almost 37,000 over the mm -hmm. last 24 hours. Now at 39,310. And when we look at this, uh, the max chart here, uh, actually, we'll go to the one year, you know, Bitcoin hit 69,000. And it's been the contention of myself, I think Travis as well, that we have not yet seen the blow off top for this particular run that we have we've had bearish moments, but I don't think we've entered into a bear market and that the, the best is yet to come on this run before we go full bear. What do you think? Uh, yes, I mean, I, I have to say that and I've talked about this a little bit on my podcast, I'm of the belief that because of how much leverage we have and, and how leveraged we are and how much debt there is in the system, that we are due for an unwinding. And I think that the politicians and the way that our system is structured with the bond market, I think that they're trying to prevent that at all costs, right? The house of cards can't fall, but at some point you really can't anymore because it's such a sham and we're so insolvent. And so I, I just think at some point it has to reset and it will. And I believe that there will be a deflationary bust that they can't just like swoop in and fix, you know, before it hits a certain percentage level of a drop. Um, and so I believe that Bitcoin will crash with that, just like it did in March 2020. And, you know, the one thing about Bitcoin, because it's it's so young, it's really only ever existed in a QE environment, in a liquidity environment, because we've been pumping in money into the system since the financial crisis. And that's essentially when, you know, Bitcoin was born. So in the event of a deflationary bust, what happens? Well, Bitcoin equities, I think all of it falls. And because Bitcoin's new and not a lot of people necessarily understand it or trust it as much as other assets, and there aren't a lot of avenues for traditional you know, institutions to invest in it, I think it will you know, crash at the expense of things like maybe gold surging in, in, a, in a bust. But that being said, I think after that, after we shake out this this horrifying mess of a system. <laughs> I think at that point, it's like clear skies and, and a runway that has an infinite possibility for Bitcoin because it's, again, the one thing that isn't under anyone's control, can't be devalued, is disinflationary, has all these amazing qualities, is backed up by this powerful network. And I think at that point it goes, you know, parabolic hockey stick. Um, my, you know, the question for me is, does that, does that bust bring it down to 50? Cause we've already reached a hundred thousand at that point. Does it bring it down? You know, do we chop along and we have a bust and it dips down again to, I don't know, 10, I, I don't know how low, because I don't know when this bust will happen. I'm just saying my belief 
based on our macroeconomic situation uh, is that we're going to have an unwinding and Bitcoin will fall to ultimately climb to ridiculous highs. Mm, I love it. Let's hope that happens. Actually, you mentioned gold. Today, gold hit an all-time high yeah. at uh, $20,071. It's, it's at the all-time high for gold. And you know what? And really, I mean, with the manipulation of gold and silver and paper money, I mean, really, it should be way higher than that. But there's more manipulation in the money system. Look, look at this, guys, that if you look here at the all time highs, 11, 13, 17 on this chart that I've got here. Yeah, um, it has never Bitcoin has never fallen back to a yeah. previous all time high. So there are those who are calling for Bitcoin to hit 20 again, but you know, it's just, it's never gotten close any other time yeah. to hitting those levels. So, but, but I mean, in the 2020 crash, it went down to like three K didn't it? Um, 2020, this is up till when this is 2022, yeah, so 20, right? 2020. Here. Yeah. So 2020, it hit like 3000 for the mm -hmm. pandemic crash. Yeah. Which would have been, uh, right around. Yeah, but that, but that had it. But that wasn't. Passed, yeah, it wasn't it in the happening. It hadn't passed twenty thousand yet. It didn't right. go up and beyond it. Bust through that. It, it did. It crashed. It tanked bad. It was, yeah, that I, was scary. I was yeah, like, that was bad. I cried a little. <laughs> I would love for Bitcoin to be temporarily three thousand dollars right. just for a day. Sir <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Travis, I'm going to leave the last question to you, good sir. Right. So, so let's, let's look at like this. So where do you think things are headed right now? I mean, you've been in politics, we, you've covered news, you've covered a lot of different things. Here's what we see going on, right? All these sanctions against Russia, Russia is now giving sanctions back to everybody else and saying, okay, well, we're just not going to give you gas. We're going to, we're not going to send you our oil and gas. Ha ha. We're going to send that flow other way. They just mentioned that yesterday. So you're going to have the West crunched because we don't have our own gas anymore because the pipelines got shut down. Mm -hmm. Like there are zero. I was looking at some of the forecasts of what could potentially happen. And I'm curious, what do you think is going to happen to the global economy? If this continues? I mean, yeah, that's a really, that's a really big question and certainly above my pay grade, but I, I truly believe that the next 10 years will be, like revolutionary transformative um, from an economic and monetary standpoint, because I just, I believe that we need a reset. I, um, I think that America is in a really interesting position right now because we've grown so weak due to our debt and our consumerism and our political policies that again, we're probably short-sighted and well-intentioned, but now have, have put us really in danger of maintaining this superpower uh, status. And I think Russia and China have been strategizing and, and in, in this game of chess, they, they see a couple moves ahead, you know, and they've been strategic about that and, you know, seeing each other as potential frenemies that can, can help each other in that, in that quest. Um, and so the thing that I wonder is, will American political leaders be smart enough to embrace a technology like Bitcoin to potentially save us from something like this, because the finance, I believe a financial reset is coming and we've really corrupted the dollar and we can't, we can't walk that back because the dollar is backed by nothing at this point, except for so much debt. And people don't want to hold our treasuries anymore. And we're losing that credibility and confidence. And, uh, and I, I just, I wonder what that's going to look like because I don't think that struggle is going to be easy. I think uh, there's going to be more frustration, polarization. I think the narratives are going to be super confusing for the average person who doesn't have an education in, in financial, you know, literacy. And, um, and I think there's going to be pushback. And I think that we, you know, we're going to see policies promoted like UBI, you know, let me swoop in and help. Let me print more money as if like, you know, you're not, you're not destroying the future for everybody in that way. And I, I think it's going to come with a lot of pain to switch over to the system. But in the end, I do believe that like Bitcoin will be a monetary standard. And I don't know if it'll be um, a global reserve asset and the dollar will be backed by it or if we're all just going to be transacting in sats. But if I think like decades down the road, I think Bitcoin will be um, 
a very reliable source of money. And I hope that it will bring some equilibrium to the system and shape. And I think currencies will collapse. Um, but right now America's in like a position where they need to make the right decisions because the dollar is not, it's not going to be trusted in two, three decades from now, if we keep going the way we're going. But you know, they're just going to push the central bank digital currencies, right? They, cause they still want to control the money supply. And mm-hmm. so Bitcoin is a threat to all of these powers. Uh, but you are a, a spreader of optimism and hope. And, and I appreciate that, Natalie. Where uh, can people tune in to your shows and follow you? Yeah, well, thank you so much. You know, you got to be optimistic. You got to have hope. Otherwise, life is pretty dismal, right? So um, it could always be worse. It's, it's about perspective. I am very grateful to be doing what I'm doing. My show is called Coin Stories. You can find it on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. And I'm on Twitter, very active on Twitter, at Nat Brunel. That'll be a good place for the, uh, for the edit um, right there. Uh, do you do any impressions? Uh, do I do impressions? No, not really. I wish I was good at, I like impressions, but I don't know. How about, anyone how about a funny joke? A funny joke? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, okay. What if soy milk is just regular milk introducing itself in Spanish? <laughs> Yo soy. Nice. That, that's all that's all it's saying. very good <laughs> you crack yourself up i love that i don't know why that was the first one that came to mind but yeah <laughs> that's not bad uh, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb i don't know one but the light bulb has to want to change <laughs> yes nice. your turn trav where's, where's your joke i have no i have no jokes and he's the fun, he's the stand up guy. Now he's sitting down. I don't I don't have story jokes. I don't like to tell a joke. It's just more of a more of a bit here and there. But I want to tell you, it was so awesome to interview you and, and connect. You are brilliant. We love what you're doing. And, thank uh, you. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Natalie, for your great content. We encourage everybody to go follow Nat Brunel on uh, on the Twitters. And she is worthy of listening to smart woman. Yeah, did she follow you back on the Twitters? Uh, I don't know if she did or not. I, she did Twitter, not follow me back. I'm actually so on Twitter. Uh, so I'm shadow banned. Uh, there's no question about it. I go to the tools that say, "Are you shadow banned?" and they say no. But when I I've got six hundred and fifty thousand followers, and mm-hmm. when I tweet, I hardly get engagement. Like a handful of people reply to me. Right. It's, it, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So I have started a second Twitter account, Real Joel Com. It's not a fake account. I started it. I don't know how much I'm going to mess with it, but I'm curious to see on this this new account how much engagement I get from having you know under a thousand followers versus this other because Twitter sucks. The just the, the censorship is really a horrible thing. A um, couple of reviews though, Travis. One of them from Ice Petro. And uh, he wrote us a one-star review, says, stick to crypto, (laughs) click and clack have gone downhill. (laughs) Which is which? Am I click or you click? (laughs) I think I'm clack, I guess. Okay, I'll be click. You'll be clack. Because you're Joe Calm and you click and and you're a dick. And so I'm not a a quack. That's not true. <laughs> People don't they're not like that Joel Khan's a dick. like maybe they're they not. Are. Maybe they do. I don't know. What I don't really That's care. why you're shadow banned. They shadow banned you, yeah. dick. Uh, no, I, I know why I was shadow banned, but that's a whole different story. So I'm gonna say this to Ice Petro, who wrote the review. Stick to anything uh, else because you don't know how to write reviews. Your review sucks. I give your review one star, Ice Petro. One. Oh my God, uh, that would be great if we could give the reviewer a review. I just did. I just did it. Well, we don't get to officially do it because there's not. I a just place affi- the- wait. Let me stamp official there. It's, okay. It's well, you know official. what? You are official because we did just get certificates. Okay, well, hang on. Let's let's talk about that in a moment. First of all, we have another review. This one okay. is uh, is certified actual review by Matt and way five stars. I learned so much and they pretty funny. Hi guys. I just wanted to let you know, I absolutely love you guys. It's funny. It's interesting. It's about crypto and what's most important going on around the clown world we live in. I couldn't agree with so many things you talk about in this podcast. I think he meant I couldn't agree more 
Um, so he left out. Well, even if he could, even if he couldn't agree with it, at least he was nice about it. Yeah, this is a truly sincere review. I'm a big advocate of this podcast. Share many of your episodes with my close friends. Keep up the good work. Matt and Way, I give your five star review five stars. Mm. Good job. I give it I give it seven. It's like a five star plus plus. It's five plus plus stars. That's like there's a, there's a there's one hotel in the world. It is the hotel in Dubai. It is the uh, Burj Al Arab Hotel. It is a five plus plus star hotel, essentially a seven star. The only one in the world, apparently, what I was told. And that review right there was a five plus plus. There you go. So, you know, Travis, we we call each other, sir, um, all the time. And yeah. as you mentioned, this is very exciting. We are now officially sirs because we have received our induction in knights of the sovereign military order of sealand the principality of mm. sealand and we have official certificates to prove it we are nice those look really those look really official yeah we should, can we take photos of those and make nfts of those that way like we can prove it we need to show people our nft and just like put your you get yours i get mine like we don't distribute them yeah just, we don't distribute them but people can see it that's funny. yeah i think that's a great idea so uh congratulations uh sir lord travis wainwright you are now a knight of the sovereign military order sealand with the seal of prince regent <laughs> michael of sealand on here um and his signature so you know it's kind of it's kind of a big deal for those who like things that aren't a big deal <laughs> and congratulations to you joel douglas com yeah sir joel douglas sir Com. sir yes. lord joel douglas com reverend yes. the high almighty yes <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> oh my thanks for listening everybody we appreciate you being part of this community lots of exciting things happening in the background and we'll have some announcements coming your way soon that uh, we'll be able to reveal some of those exciting things and we catch you uh on the next episode so from our um i guess we can't have a round table because you need more nights for around a round table we wouldn't have a square table because you need four people. You can't well, have it's a, just a It's just table. a rectangle. It's okay. We can have a rectangle because we can just each sit on one side of it. Who's on the other sides? There's room well, for there's two more. You, well, no, there's two more. But I think let's just have a line table. table. It's just a line. That's all it it's is. Because it's, it's. Well, there could be other sirs. Like there could be. A, there should be a Sir Jimmy. Like there could be like that. And then it could be. Well, there's Lady Erin. Is she going to be a? What is it when they're a sir? It's that's a, what's the female equivalent of sir? Because Lord and Lady. What's the? What it's that? ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for tuning in everyone and as always stay clack clicky, clicky <laughs> and bad stay bad The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.